This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This week on The Takeout from the Dubliner, Democratic Congresswoman Debbie Dingle. Five, four, three, two, one, zero, ignition. Major Garrett, yes, CBS, yes, hi. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major. Fantastic. It's The Takeout. Major. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major, that's nonsense. Major Garrett. And you should know better. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett, host and creator of this amazing program known as The Takeout, where, dear audience, on C-SPAN, come on, CBSN, Nearly 60 radio stations around the country and our early adopters on podcast platforms all over. We are two things. What are those two things? Relentlessly curious, steadfastly non-ideological. You are the hardest working audience in show business, ladies and gentlemen. I love you for that because you've got to listen to both sides. Uh, Not everyone does that. Not every show trades on that. Most don't, actually. Most podcasts much more successful than this one. Just tell you one thing over and over and over again and hammer it into your conscious mind and your subconscious mind and probably make a good living at it. We do things a bit differently, right, left, and center. And um, one of our guests, or our guest this week, let me say that differently, uh, illustrates that. Debbie Dingle, Democrat from Michigan. You probably see her on TV. Lots of different places. Unusual these days. We have a kind of a siloed political communication in our country. Democrats on MSNBC, Republicans on Fox, and rarely do members of Congress show up in both places. Debbie, you show up there. Lots. I think it's important. Why? I think you talk to everybody. You know, and my district uh, reflects everybody. 12th District of Michigan. 12th District of Michigan. I love it. It can age you, but I love it. Mm-hmm. I have Ann Arbor, which is university town. Clearly a lot of progressives. They're very vocal and very active. I have Ypsilanti, which is a small urban town, but reflects many of uh, the issues that larger urban towns have. Dearborn, which is the headquarters of Ford Motor and also the largest population of Muslims, Arab Americans, outside of the Mideast. And you go down river and you've got working men and women that work in those auto plants. And they are, many of them, the Trump voters. And the reason that I said to everybody four years ago when everyone thought I was nuts, Donald Trump could win this election. Mm -hmm. I remember... Bumping into you when uh, then-candidate Trump was in Detroit and he gave a speech, I believe, to the Detroit Economic Forum. Yep. And uh, you were there. I was surprised to see you there. And you didn't tell me he was going to win, but you felt decidedly uneasy about the atmosphere. Do you still feel that way? Do you feel yes. voters are still inclined to think about him I positively and maybe reelect him? I think that this electorate, is trying to figure out what they're going to do. And there are many people that don't know how they're going to vote. And I will say 
that those that voted for Donald Trump are still very, very strongly supporting the president. And what about his candidacy and message in 2016 made you uneasy in the sense that as a Democrat, you thought he could win? Trade was probably the number one issue. But I spent a lot of time in uh, the Down Rivers and uh, and the Trump signs were everywhere. They were in every yard. And I, I make a point now, even I try to be in a union hall every weekend mm-hmm. or with my union workers. And they didn't, we quite frankly as Democrats didn't do a good job four years ago talking about the issues that matter to them. Just straight bread and butter issues about their jobs, about how they're going to have job security. A lot of them are still afraid right now of, of that whether they can afford to go to the doctor and how much their prescription drugs cost. And I have a lot of, of constituents that are worried about their pensions. They worked their lifetime. They gave up pay raises so they'd have a safe and secure retirement. I've got the largest group of Teamsters in the country that suddenly don't know how they're going to live mm-hmm. when they retire. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about that. And Trump did. Trump did. Just enough or in a way that was so audible that it seems so different to them, meaning I hadn't heard that, because I, I met many Trump supporters, more than 75 rallies during the 2016 campaign, and I was told frequently, he says things I've long believed, and no one talks like him. Now, that was not always a positive, but it was mostly positive. He was aggressive and angry, and he channeled their anger. I think that that is absolutely accurate. I think his anger has grown over the last four years so that there were a lot of people that stayed home four years ago. They just, they didn't, you know, I mean, I said to, this is just a story. It's been in a book, so I'm not telling the story out of uh, school, but TTPP was a current, was a big issue back then. And I said to Hillary before the primary, you got to come in here and you got to make it clear. You were opposed to it. Right. Trans-Pacific Partnership, a big multilateral trade agreement between many countries in Asia, not China, as a counterweight, theoretically, against China. They want a level playing field, and they want somebody to care about them. Mm -hmm. She didn't talk about that until August. And at that point, people really didn't believe her. And then on top of it, President Clinton went to a UAW hall in Flint on Labor Day, and he was the author of NAFTA. And I'm still getting yelled at by labor leaders about that. So we, we were just not smart in how we campaigned in states like Michigan last time. What are your thoughts about the current Democratic field? I am not endorsing anybody. Have you, not you, you have a beautiful opportunity right here. Nope, I'm not going to because I want to see how people react to all of them. First of all, most of them are close friends. I would imagine. And uh, I have issues that I agree with them all on, and I have issues I don't. And what I care about is who can win. Mm-hmm. And I think too early... Last time we all, you know, you were going to be, if you didn't get on board early, you felt and paid a price. And right. I think this time we need to see what the American people want, who they're going to support, who can talk to all the voters. And I want to see how candidates do in my state when they come in there for the primary on March 10th. And I'm going to support who the Michigan voters support. Do you think Bernie Sanders is a Democrat? Yes, I think that Bernie Sanders is a Democrat. I think he's real. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think they're all, I, I like Bernie. I'm one of the people. There are old guard Democrats who wish he were in the party and don't like that he has stood athwart the party. 
and has this kind of arm's length relationship to it and wonder if there's a dimension of his campaign that's about breaking the party system down and breaking the Democratic Party down. You know, I th- I look at what each of these candidates, what's Mike Bloomberg? You mm-hmm. know, some people might We're gonna talk about him say, in a second, say yeah. that too. I think they're each running on issues that matter to them and I respect them all and I want to see how they inter- how they connect and how they talk about issues mm-hmm. with real people. Right. That's what matters to me and I'm going to watch it. The reason I asked that question about Bernie is because it's now become yet again this question because he and Elizabeth Warren in the last couple of days in Iowa have gotten a little elbowy with one another. And part of the underlying sentiment from Warren supporters is, see, Bernie is not for the party. He's not for unity. He's for himself. And he'll say that she's an elitist when that's not a fair thing to say from the Warren's supporters' point of view. Now, we all knew that sharp elbow time would have to come. It would inevitably come. But it sort of goes to this underlying issue. How much of a Democrat, how much of a party person is Bernie? Well, you know, as we look at this spat, I do think that um, Bernie's camp. Look, I have no candidate, so right. I'm just giving you yeah, an sure. objective. I think last night we saw uh, Bernie's campaign manager try to quiet it down. Senator Warren came back with a pretty strong statement. So, mm-hmm. you know, who are we pointing fingers at? Right. It's good to see this because whoever wins, it's, it's not good tough. to see it. But right. you do got to be tough because you're going up right. you against gotta, you gotta, the you master. Right, got to be able to deliver a punch and take a punch. And take a punch. So I'm watching. Right. Uh, has Mayor Pete surprised you? Uh I have a great deal of respect for him. He has surprised me in how well he does, and I am concerned uh, if this is his year. You you know, we have to get our base out, and our base is a a very broad group of people. So I can't wait to see how he does in Michigan. That's one of the things I want to watch. I want to see how people do. I mean, one of the threshold questions for Mayor Pete is, can you translate this message, which plays very well with, uh, let us just say, what the demographic data says, white well-educated, progressive voters, can you translate that to the African-American community, other minority communities? Correct. That's the, that's the key question for him. That, that is correct. And it does appear that Vice President Biden, and I'll have you comment on this on the other side of the break, does have and retains a very strong base of support within not only the African-American community, but if polling data is accurate in Nevada, and I always put that if the polling data is accurate around every poll. I don't, don't trust know. any polling. There you go. That's W. Dingle. I'm Major Gary. We're at the Dubliner. We'll be ordering breakfast here in a moment when Patrick comes back. Stay tuned for segment two in just a second. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back. We're at the Dubliner. Debbie Dingle, Congresswoman, 12th District of Michigan, is our special guest. Um, We were talking about the diversity of your own district. Joe Biden, as we talked going into break, has this appearing to be a very strong base of support. It's keeping him in this race with African-Americans and Latino voters. Uh, What are your thoughts about his candidacies thus far? You know, he is a good friend. 
probably known him for a long time. I have known him for a very long time. Uh, was did John's eulogy mm-hmm. at his funeral, and quite frankly, when John became uh, seriously ill a uh, number of years ago, and they thought he was going to die, he was the first person at the hospital. So I love Joe and Jill, but I am keeping my powder dry right now mm-hmm. and watching everybody. Each of them has different strengths, mm-hmm. and each of them has different weaknesses. And Hillary, to this day, is one of my dearest friends. I want to see how they interact with people. Right. I want to win. Yeah. If this Four more years of this president could tear this country apart. Because? Our democracy is threatened right now. Because? When I was in grade school, high school, learning about our Constitution, we would hear, you know, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of press. And you and I wrote it on, wrote, passed our exams, and had no understanding of what that really meant. We were lucky. I suddenly am living in a country where you are looking at what does freedom of religion mean? What does freedom of speech mean? And what does freedom of press mean? Mm-hmm. And I want to protect this country. I'm going to protect our Constitution. And I think the fundamental foundations of our democracy are under attack. And you believe President Trump is a threat to all three? I do. And when you say that back in your district, what do Trump supporters tell you? Oh, I get, you know, I have the most, I, I guess I'm sort of this odd duck because, you know, I, I, the Trump supporters, I talk to them. Of course I you do. You have to. I mean, yesterday I was home and I had some people pretty mad at me. Uh, but I talk. I don't run away. Mm-hmm. We talk through the issues. Uh, I think that uh, I, I've asked everybody to take a deep breath after the president had some words in Michigan. We'll talk about that in yeah, a second. We will. Um, and I just try to say, hey, you and I agree on a lot of of common things a lot yesterday's discussion was how well the economy was doing but there's an article um it's a horrific article quite frankly in the metro times about a site uh facebook site in michigan that had way too many followers from one a republican candidate for governor in michigan next time with unbelievable it started out as a anti-governor whitmer uh site but turned into an anti-woman site. The mm-hmm. words that are used are not even repeatable, but then became about violence and vitriolicness and raping. Right, so, so it went from it disagreements in politics to, to misogyny to violence right. to uh, rape culture language. And they were, I, I, I said to them, we have to stand up to it. It's not who you are. You have to be bothered by this. And we all have to stand up to this fear and hatred that is dividing this country. And when I do it, I get hatred back, but I'm not walking away from it because I think it's the heart and soul of America mm. we're fighting for. So you mentioned uh, the president's words about your departed husband, John Dingell. We're coming up about on the year anniversary of his passing. John Dingell served longer in the Congress than any member in the history of the United States Congress. Uh, you're part of a family legacy. Uh, his father served in Congress. He did. Now you serve in that seat. I believe it's 86, going on 87 years of continuous dingle service in Congress. Is that right? It is. Roughly? It is. But, you know, I'm very proud of my last name. And some of the most important things that have happened uh, for working men and women in this country. John's father was the author of Social Security. He introduced the first universal health care bill in the early 40s. John picked up the mantle. He introduced it in 55 when he got elected. Medicare came about. 
because of that bill. Uh, their civil rights. John was one of the uh, almost lost his election over it. But I'm Debbie Dingle, mm-hmm. and I didn't know whether to run or not. And a lot of people came to me and said, "We need a voice at the table, and you'll be a voice." And I love John Dingle. I loved him every single minute of my life. But I'm also a woman Mm -hmm. who didn't know John Dingle when I started my career. Mm -hmm. When uh, I got my job at General Motors, I got it on my own. I was working for General Motors long before I ever met John Dingle. I have my own 30-year career there. I've done, at General Motors, I've done a number of other things. I chaired multiple boards, uh, led on many critical issues back home and I am my own person and I think it's about time it is 2020 Mm -hmm. that women should be judged on their career their experiences what we deliver and not because who you were married to so I take that legacy seriously Mm -hmm. I'm proud of it but I'm my own person and I'm Debbie Dingle who has a job interview every two years with the people of the 12th district was there something that you found about my phraseology or description that rubbed you the wrong way? No, but I'm very defensive of it mm-hmm. because I don't think we have dynasties uh, mm-hmm. in this country. And I think that that's why House elections every two years are very important because you've got to deliver. You've got to be accountable and you are accountable to the people that elect you. Mm-hmm. You know, John Dingle did have a saying about how we are not powerful people. We hold the power of the people and we were responsible to take care of them and, and empowered by the people and empowered by the people uh and the minute you begin to think it's yours it's time for you to go mm-hmm. so i'm probably defensive about it mm-hmm. because i really am my own person and i think i've spent my i think a lot of women of my seasoning were young got a lot of life left in us but we are seasoned uh have are not judged on their what they've done and I probably get more defensive than I should, but most people don't know that I was one of the first women at General Motors uh, and, and worked my way up. And quite frankly, I identify with a lot of the women in the Me Too movement because I think any woman of my generation has a lot of those stories, though we don't share them because we still know there could be retributions even at this point. I wasn't anticipating this line of conversation, but I want to pursue it right now. What do you... so? Uh, you've got scars, in other words. I do. You have scars because your generation of women had to do what? Tolerate things, look the other way, uh-huh. bury things, submerge things, what? Well, probably all those words will work, although I don't <clears throat> take it as, it just was life. I mean, if you were, so when I interviewed for my job at General Motors, uh, the, I still remember his name, said to me, why would a woman want to work at General Motors? And now Mary Barra is CEO (laughs) CEO, and is one of the people that, I mean, she and I have been colleagues and friends for 30 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, I certainly had very terrible instances of sexual harassment. But if I had said anything, I I mean, I I was really being stalked and and I said to one of the men, I need to be protected. I'm really worried. And he said, look, the guy's liked on the 14th floor. Deal with it or leave. They care more about him than they do you. And as I got older, I started to protect other women. And I knew that as a woman, if you said something, you would be labeled a troublemaker, which, by the way, is still true today. Or if you said something publicly, they would make noise that they were taking care of you, but you'd be the one that paid the consequences. Maybe the man would pay the consequences today, but the women still 
have too many consequences from saying anything. And earlier in your career, there were no consequences. There were none. Only for women. Only for women. So you were intimidated into silence. I mean, I don't use, nobody intimidates me. I'm not stupid, and I know how to use common sense, and you just used common sense. Mm -hmm. But in the process, lost a bit of yourself. Well, I, you know, I, I try very hard not to lose any mm-hmm. sense of myself. So I think I know exactly what I went through. It made me stronger and tougher. It's made me, my women friends really matter to me. We have our each other's back. We support each other. But I've had great men mentors too. So it's, it just, life hits you with different things. And you can either let them wound you, hurt you, discourage you. Or you learn from them and keep moving. Mm-hmm. Does this feel like a transformative moment on this whole conversation to you as you watch it, as you observe the dialogue and the way it plays out? I think it's transformative in that we are now publicly talking about it. But I've been very clear for two years. When this first became public, I had a woman at a union hall talk about a rape in a factory floor and told me I couldn't tell anybody. The waitresses, the everyday working people, they can't say anything. They need those Still. jobs. Still. That's the voice of Debbie Dingle, our special guest this week. We're at the Dubliner. Breakfast is on its way. Stay tuned for segment three in just a second. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back. Debbie Dingle. Congresswoman, 12th District of Michigan, is our special guest. I want to continue this conversation before we jump on to impeachment, Iran, and other news of the day. You were talking before we went into break about those women, uh, factory floors, waitresses, they feel still disempowered on this issue. Well, I think it's a reality. So I can't, the first time I openly talked about it, that weekend I had like 20 women come up to me back home and tell me stories. One was working for the state legislature and told me how her boss closed the door and told her to come in and stand on a table and do a dance. The waitresses who have to, they need those jobs. They have to put up with it. That There are so many women that need those jobs to support their family and their children. And saying anything, yeah, you'll be brave, but you'll pay consequences, and you need the next job. And we've got to figure out. That's why when women come to me, and a lot have come to me, I go to the person. And, I, and maybe I'm not supposed to do this, but I have, in the course of gone to that person and called them, I won't say it on the air, and tell them, you go near that woman again, you are going to deal with me, not her. And I try to help women that way. Now, I think we... HR departments are becoming more aware, and that's better. But that's for, you know, someone in the larger corporation, not even, you know, as your mother was at one time, an operator. Or for those that are sole bread supporters at lower, many of them are living still below the poverty line. They need those jobs, and they don't have that freedom to say something. And is there anything federally that can be done to protect them? I talked to... Uh, lawyers and people that are experts in this field all the time and we continue to work on it but here's a human reality and people don't like to talk about this but if you get labeled how do you make sure you get the next job Mm -hmm. right and how do you 
legislate that. Exactly. Very difficult. Uh, you mentioned a while ago, and I want to get back to it, the president's comments when he was in Michigan. This was the day of or the day after the impeachment vote. Day announced. of day impeachment. Of. Almost right. at the very moment. She calls me up. It's the nicest thing that's ever happened. Thank you so much. John would be so thrilled. He's looking down. He'd be so thrilled. Thank you so much, sir. I said, that's okay. Don't worry about it. Maybe he's looking up. I don't know. But let's assume he's looking down. Talk to me about that. You know, I'm going to say several things. Uh, The president called me, and I'm still grateful to this day, even after what he said, that he did call me. He um, was uh, very comforting, and he did lower the flags, and I appreciated that. And... We've seen him not do that for other people, so it meant a lot. And I meant it when I said it to him. It meant a lot. John Dingell was a World War II veteran. He served this country in many different ways. And he earned his burial at Arlington Cemetery fighting for this country. He did not. I made a decision very... Nancy called me to make sure I was okay. and Speaker help Pelosi. Speaker yeah. Pelosi to get me to start... I mean, I was not focused. I had to make a lot of decisions, right. and she was the friend that I needed right then. I did not. He was not, even though he was so longest serving, he was not laid out in the rotunda. And by the way, that's a vote of the House and the Senate, mm-hmm. because I didn't want to do something that wasn't offered to all other formal members. So we did what Ted Kennedy did, which was to drive by the Capitol. Right. Um, so I was grateful for the president's kindness and his empathy at the time that John died. And I'm not going to take that back. And I think that it's a moment you could either be angry or say to people, okay, when does this stop? When do we all start taking a deep breath and worry about how we're treating each other and try to restore some civility and and just think about how we're hurting each other and impacting each other? Did it hurt you? Yes, it did. And um, I look... I'm still having a hard time. I miss him every day. And it's, you know, you go through these. I miss him. And Christmas was hard, and he made it harder. Though people, the people that reached out and were so kind and supportive, and it also made you realize how many other people are hurting. You know, when someone dies, you hear from everybody right away, mm-hmm. and they go away. Yeah. And your hurt is still there, and people avoid you. And I really heard they don't know what to say. They, they don't, don't know, know what to, to say. And I'm lucky. I work hard. I see people. I can't hide. I'd like to some days, but my job doesn't let me, and I stay busy. But the number of people that were clearly hurting and reached out to, have, to it it was a uh, it was a very touching time as well. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Speaker Pelosi uh, coming to your aid as a friend. Um, that's a part of politics. I'm not sure very many people get a chance to appreciate or even hear about. And I don't want to do this whole thing about how Nancy Pelosi is saintly. I'm not suggesting she is or she isn't. But there are certain people in politics who do the extra thing on the personal side. Seems to me in my career, I've heard that about her a lot. You know, people, um, you know, Nancy and I are Catholic girls. So we have that in common. There's a lot of history between the Pelosi family and the Dingle family. For me, it's been good. 
But, I, you know, that week uh, when John went into hospice at the beginning of the week, I was not okay. And she was on the phone just being a friend and being comforting. He died faster than I thought that he was going to die. And I was upset. And she was exactly who she needed to be. Get a backbone. John wouldn't want you to be like this. You've got to start to make decisions. And she was exactly what I needed. She <laughs> But that's who Nancy is. Yeah. She knows when you need just need to have the friend. And she knows, okay, you got decisions to make. Make them. And that's who she is. She's a... Uh, I mean, I guess, I, 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 when you want to describe me, I'm a Catholic woman trained by the nuns. I think that describes Nancy in many ways. And people don't realize the, the complicated, strong person that, not complicated is not the right word, mm-hmm. but she does a very compassionate side, but a very tough side. And those nuns taught me to be tough, too. Steely. Steely. Mm-hmm. They were steely. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, what's the attitude in your district about impeachment? Well, it depends where you go. Exactly. You know, last summer I did not come out for no? impeachment. Tom Steyer bought 40 ads. MoveOn.org was targeting me. And I, I knew how in to... In your district? In, oh, yes. <laughs> I'm telling you. To put I the heat on you. Right. And I did not To be a good Democrat and say impeach this Democrat. president. And I, I, I knew exactly where I was, which was that this country is divided. And we got to be very careful. They got to understand the facts. And I did not want to divide this country further. When the whistleblower came forward and the President Trump inspector general said, this is serious, it's credible, right. an urgent threat to our national security, things changed for me. So I had been targeted all summer. I, you know, I hear from some people, well, I really heard from them yesterday, but uh, that are upset about it. You know, it's the country. My district reflects the country. You mm-hmm. hear about it everywhere. And evaluate for my audience what was achieved, if anything, by holding back the articles of impeachment from the House to the Senate. I think that uh, the whole question of making sure that there's a fair trial, uh, and that's what it was about, that, you know, there were efforts to dismiss, to not even have it. We've gotten a lot of credible, more information than was even there uh, when the vote happened on the House side. And I think that there will hopefully the result of what's happened the last few weeks. And it's not that, just for the record, Bill Clinton's was not sent over until January 6th. So we're not that out of the time frame. People understand the importance of a fair trial. And whether a fair trial happens or not, it seems that the tactical pursuit of the speaker was to deepen the conversation about if it is dismissed, what does that mean? And if there isn't a trial with witnesses, what does that look like? And I think that's correct. Not to change the ultimate result, because I, th- I don't think she ever kidded herself. She was going to change the mind of Mitch McConnell. But it seemed like she wanted to take some time for the country to ponder what his made-up mind represented. I think that's true. And I also think she wants the country to understand why this matters. That it, we need to be transparent, that nobody's above the law, and that we had to hold this president accountable so future presidents don't think that they can that's the voice of debbie dingle our special guest i'm major garrett we're at the dubliner back for segment four in just a second carmax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you because at carmax we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car you should love your car 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back. Debbie Dingle, Congresswoman, 12th District of Michigan, is our special guest. Um, we mentioned this earlier, Debbie, and I want to go back to it because I don't want to leave it as a because I think it's more than a dynamic in the Democratic race for the nomination. It might be a significant dynamic. Mike Bloomberg. Um, there's a couple things that seems to me are at stake with his approach. One, skipping the first four contests. If he were to do very well on Super Tuesday and by some strategic purpose claim the nomination it seems to me that would fundamentally alter the entire calendar and idea of how you nominate someone to become uh, a, a party presidential candidate and nominee secondly uh, it may be for this time the democratic party says you know we need a, Dem- a new york billionaire to go up against a new york billionaire it's not traditional it's not the normal way Evaluate what Mike Bloomberg is doing and what his role may or may not be. Well, I, that question brings out several sides of me. I bet. You will remember who the person was that challenged the primary system eight years ago. And that right. was myself with Carl Levin. In and, Michigan, right? In Michigan. And by the way, the Republican Party joined me. The chair of the Republican Party was there with me. Uh, it turned into a political fiasco. I still think that New Hampshire and Iowa should not have a lock on going first. I feel it more now than I have ever felt. I think this is a time that we need to have more diverse states participating. I think that every state around the country should have the opportunity. Rotating regional rotating it. Uh, and primary and while I calendar. S- correct. And while I swore, uh, I guess it's almost 12 years now, mm-hmm. uh, that I would never touch it again, I am very much looking at touching it again. Uh, This issue. This issue. I think you've got, you know, you see President Trump campaigning in the states that are going to make the difference, and he's already actively out there. He was in Ohio last week. He's in Wisconsin tonight. He was in Michigan the week, the famous week. Uh, He's going into those states, and we're in these other states that don't even quite frankly, some of them don't even reflect the diversity of the electorate that's going to be voting. And I think the Democrats need the to diversity take of the party, the diversity of the party. I think we need to take a deep breath again and look at the process. So having and said that, is Michael Bloomberg a breath of fresh air? I, you know, first of all, I like Mike the way that I like everybody else. <laughs> he's a breath of fresh air for me because he's opening eight offices in Michigan uh, whether he wins or not, he's keeping the staff there. He's working for the party. He understands that we need to have an infrastructure that we don't have. The Republicans are better at it. They know how to do social media better than we do. And his investment isn't just about Mike Bloomberg. It's about the Democratic Party and about beating Donald Trump. So I don't know how he's going to do. I'm watching like everybody else. Could you uh, be comfortable with a Mike Bloomberg as the nominee of the Democratic Party? I could be comfortable with it. most of the candidates. or they're, I'm not going to, if I start, uh, but there are five or six that I would be very comfortable with. And he and would he be in that five or six. Okay, be. all right. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, in your district, you mentioned that there is a large Muslim population. It's important to distinguish between Muslims and Persians. 
Iran is not Muslim as much as it is Persian. It's an important distinction. But nevertheless, it is part of the news cycle we've been living through the past two weeks. What are you hearing in your district about all that has transpired the last two weeks? So, and even as you say, it is Persian. I met with a number of my uh, moms, asked me to meet with them on Friday, Saturday, I'm sorry, Sunday. And several of them are Iranian, but they service they, their mosques um, are located in my community and many members of the community uh, worship there. I quite frankly found it to be one of the saddest conversations that I have had. They because? Wanted, well, I can talk about what's happening at the airports to American citizens, people with residence cards, but they, one, want us to be very careful about talking about it because they don't want more young people and more people in the Mideast to hate us as Americans more. So in ways that I would normally talk about it, I'm, I gotta, here I am talking about it. But more than that, these are men that I've known for a long time. You know, we have disagreements. I've had, they're uh, representing this community is never dull. But they're afraid to walk out in their garbs. They try to take them off before they go. They said they've never seen the kind of hate that they are seeing targeted at them. In their I mean, own neighborhoods, in, in their, their own, own communities own. here in America, in your district. And, uh, or, or Southeast Michigan. Okay. You know, when it's, we're looking at anti-Semitism, we're looking at, I quite frankly, people think that there is tension between Israel and the Mideast. In this country, both communities are being targeted. They're afraid of when they go to worship, which is where you should be at peace and find that peace, they're very worried, both communities, about being targeted, about violence in their ho houses of worship, be it mm -hmm. a synagogue or a mosque. This is, it's just wrong, and they have more in common right now than they have. Uh, and I'm, uh, by the way, meeting with rabbis as well, and we're all, this hate out there is something we all need to be aware of and should stand up to. And should be fighting. To that point, uh, did it predate President Trump? Uh, or, And if it did, uh, is he bringing it to the surface? Is he I, I making believe, it frothy I think and it, more dangerous? Yes, I think he's brought it. Like, what I remember 9-11, which was the worst of times in this country, truly the worst of times. But I also remember how this country came together. And being in this community and people wanting to make sure that they were not attacked that they did not, that there wasn't violence in the community. And people came together from all, George Bush visited a mosque. We, we knew that we had to protect our communities. I don't think that that's the case now. And it's not just targeted these, these and religions. And you lay that at President Trump's feet, mostly. I, I, I think that there is a group, he is, I, I wish he would be, as a president, bring people together more than rather than trying to divide them. But I also think that there are other forces out there that are using this as the opportunity. Uh, this goes to his, to your interpretation of his judgment. Do you think he's indifferent, or do you think he intentionally stirs these things up? You know, this is complicated mm -hmm. because I am someone that does not like to attack anybody. I think that's part of what's happening right now. I mean, I'm not afraid to stand up. Nobody thinks of me as a shy or retiring person. Uh, but I think there are people in his world 
that are deliberately stirring this up and pitting people against each other. And this pitting of people against each other, and by the way, they're people that are just using what's happening out there to stir this kind of hate. And there are enough of us that believe that you can disagree agreeably, that you need to respect each other, that you need to be civil, that we need to stand up to the hatred that we are witnessing in too many communities. And if I hear your voice correctly, Congresswoman Dingle, You've never been more afraid about this than you are right now. If I'm I hear very you. afraid. Is that never a fair have characterization? That is a very fair characterization. That's the voice of Debbie Dingle, our special guest. Uh, many thanks, as always, to the Dubliner Excellent uh, Kitchen Sink Omelet I just polished off, and we'll see you next week. For more from this week's conversation, download the Takeout Outtake Especial Tuesday morning, wherever you get your podcasts. The Takeout is produced by Arden Farin, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook and Ellie Watson. CBSN production by Eric Susanen and Grace Seegers. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, visit TakeoutPodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News Radio. Bye. Bye bye. If you like the takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. I'm CBS News correspondent Major Garrett, host of the podcast Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen traded classified secrets to the Kremlin in exchange for cash and jewels. In the podcast, you'll hear from Hansen's closest friends, family members, victims, and colleagues for the most comprehensive telling of who Robert Hansen really was. Binge the entire series now. Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen is available on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Farian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them? and not the man pulling the strings. Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus.